This morning we'll go into our presentation on sun, the Sunday law. So before we start our presentation, shall we bow our heads for a word, a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have to study together, for the privilege of life itself. Bless us, Lord, now as we open your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the Sunday law. Um, when we look at the three angels' message, the purpose of the three angels' message is to present the truths that will prepare people to meet Jesus when he comes. Amen? It's to prepare our hearts and it's to prepare other people as well. Now, when we're looking at the... Uh, <coughs> when we um, are looking at these, these final events, we're looking at right at the... Ah, thank you. We're looking at, right at the events right at the very close of history. Now, in Revelation 12, verse 17, if you're there in your Bible or just read here on the screen, it says these words. It says, And the dragon... Who's the dragon? How do you know it's Satan? You know, you know, you know. Just Revelation 12, verse 9. Revelation 12, verse 9, right there in the same chapter. So the dragon is Satan. Now the dragon is angry with the woman, and the woman represents the church. church. Jeremiah 6, verse 2. And went to make war with the remnant of her seed. And here's the characteristics. Which keep the commandments of God and have the what? Testimony of Jesus. So the dragon, Satan, is angry with the church and he goes to make what? He goes to make war. Now notice the experience of God's church is an experience of war. They will have war with the dragon. Now, how many of you feel like the dragon is making war with you today? Anyone? How many think the dragon is making war with the church today? Yes? No? Yeah, I think so. I think so. But I think the dragon would like to make even more war with the church. Amen? Like, you know, in World War, um, in World war II, they had this phase of World War II, at least in Europe, when the English and the Germans were fighting, um, called the Phony War. Anyone, you've heard of the Phony War, anyone? So war was declared in 18, no, 1939, and there was initially, there was this, you know, there was this spate of war. And then for several months, nothing really happened. They call it the Phony War. Before then, it kind of kicked off about you know, four, five, six months later. In some ways... The war that I think we experience today, in some ways, for some of us, is almost like the phony war, and it's not really kicked in yet. What Satan wants to do is not exactly what he is able to do because God withholds him. But the Bible says he wants to make war with the church. Now, I believe the Sunday law is going to be the final expression, peak of his war with the church. Okay. Notice here, Great Controversy, page 592. It says this, The dignitaries of church and state will unite to bribe, persuade, or compel all classes to honor the what? Sunday. 
the lack of divine authority will be supplied by oppressive enactments. Political corruption is destroying love for justice and regard for truth. And even in free America, rulers and legislators, in order to secure public favor, will yield to the popular demand for a law-enforcing Sunday observance. Liberty of conscience, which has cost so great a sacrifice, will no longer be respected. In the soon coming conflict, we shall see exemplified by the prophet's words, the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Liberty of conscience, which used to be so respected, is no longer respected. In the world in which we live today, our freedoms are fast disappearing and we're trading our freedoms for something that is called security. I'll let you read all my emails, just keep me secure. I'll let you listen to all my phone calls, but just keep me secure. That's what we trade as a society, with the government or whoever. Keep us secure and, and, and do whatever you want. And it's like a trade that we do. I mean, you know that all your emails probably get read, right? Maybe not literally read by someone, but they're scanned by some machine, looking for key words or whatever. In England, we know every phone call is monitored. Has been for years. There's this big place in the north of England, monitored every mobile phone, every call. Long time it's been doing that. And they just listen for key words. And if they hear a key word said, then they zoom in on the conversation. Been doing it for a long time. Be under no illusion that we are a free society. But if we're living a right life with God, we don't really care if they listen to me or not. Amen? I don't care if the government reads my email. They're going to find out about what a boring life I live, you know? So, uh, I mean, some people get all worked up about that. If you're living a righteous life, it really shouldn't bother you. Amen? Amen. You know, when you are living a righteous life, you don't mind. Anyway, example enough. The Sunday law, I believe, is the opening of the war. Now notice, <coughs> excuse me, this will come as a demand from the people. The real war of Revelation 12, 17 centers around the issues when the national Sunday law is enforced. So it says it will come as a demand from the people. We'll see that in Revelation 13 in just a moment. Notice here. In order to secure popularity and patronages, as we read earlier, legislators will yield to the demand for a Sunday law. So... The way it happens is that the legislators, they may want it, they may not want it, but they do it because the people under them want it. And in order to stay in power, they give the people what they want. That's kind of what we call, in some ways, politics today. When you see your politicians, they kind of, it's almost like politicians today, their policies are according to the opinion polls. You understand? So society is polled, what do you think on this issue? And judging by what society wants, the, the, the government leaders then make a policy in line with that. And if they notice that public opinion is shifting this way, then they shift this way. Because the main thing for them, I want to stay in power. And if the people are moving this way, I will move this way. It is rare today to have a, an upright politician that will say, no, I stand by this. I don't mind if society goes there. I will stand here. Even if it costs me my seat in the election, I will move. 
I mean, today we see politicians from political parties. You know, in England we have, you know, summary, we have the right-wing party. You understand the terminology, right-wing? No? How would I explain? Hmm? Right-wing, left-wing. We have, like, extremely Democrat-Republican, capitalist, communists. That's the extreme. So you've got a party on this side, the left side, leaning more towards socialism. They've been out of power for 15 years. How do they get back in? Being true to their core? No, what do they do? They start moving this way, adapting all the policies of this side, but still being this name, and then they get back in power. Not true to who they are, they just want to get back around. We see this all the time in politics taking place. Unfortunately, we sometimes see it in the church politics as well. But we see it all the time in politics. Now, here at the end of time, it's nothing new. The leaders, in order to stay in power, give the people what they want. And the people say, we want a Sunday law. On this battlefield comes the last great conflict of controversy between truth and error. And we are not left in doubt as to the issue. Notice here. Now, as in the days of Mordecai, the Lord will vindicate, excuse me, will vindicate his truth and his people by the decree enforcing the institution of the papacy in violation of the law of God, our nation will disconnect herself fully from righteousness. Ellen White's here talking of America, and she says it will disconnect itself fully from God when it makes a law enacting religious worship. You know, the Bible says, turn to Revelation 13. Revelation 13, the Bible describes America as the second beast. There's two beasts in Revelation 13. America is the second beast there in verse 11. And it says, I beheld another beast coming up from the earth or out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb. Now, when it says two horns like a lamb, it means that this beast and the beast represents a kingdom. This beast or this kingdom is lamb-like, meaning it's like Jesus Christ. How do we know that? John 1 verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, the word lamb comes up 26 times in the book of Revelation. 25 of those times, it is directly speaking about Jesus Christ. This is the 26th time it comes up, not directly speaking about Jesus Christ, but I believe, based on the pattern of John in Revelation, we can assume it is talking about Jesus. So there's something about this nation that would be like Jesus. Something about this nation would be like Jesus. Now, Jesus Christ, when it came to how nations or kingdoms should operate, what words did Jesus have to say on nations and governments? He said that, yeah. He said, my kingdom's not of this world. My question, did Jesus get involved in the local civil politics of his day? Was he like some preachers today that were preaching about the election and doing this and doing that? He stayed out of it completely. He did not get involved in local Jewish Roman politics. But they did get him in the corner once. They got him in the corner once when they showed him a coin and they said, to whom should we, you know, pay tribute? They had him in the corner, and it's the only time in all the Gospels that he says anything that relates to the Christian's life and the government. 
And in Matthew 22, he says those beautiful words, Render to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. In that one verse, Jesus encapsulates his principle of how the Christian should live and how the government should operate. Give God what is due to God, give Caesar or the state what is due to Caesar, and keep the two of them separate. Anytime you bring them together, you weaken both. As I mentioned yesterday, in Europe we have national churches where the state and the church are blended together. It's weak because the population views it as corrupt. America was founded on the principle of the church being the church and the state being the state. And that one founding principle of religious liberty is the foundation of all other freedom and liberty. You look at different countries around the world where there's no religious liberty, there's less prospering of the country in general, there's less economic prospering. I mean, it's the foundation of all true success is religious liberty. And when America takes that away, she will cease to be a lamb-like nation and she will be disconnected from God and speaking like a dragon. The text says, two horns like a lamb, and then speaks like a dragon. Revelation 12, 17 says, and the dragon's angry with the woman and goes to make war. Notice here, when Protestantism shall stretch her hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of the Roman power, when she shall reach across the abyss to clasp hands with spiritualism, when under the influence of this threefold union, our country will repudiate every principle of its constitution as a Republican, Protestant, and Republican government, and will make proposition, provision for the propaganda of papal falsehoods and delusions, then we may know that the time has come for the marvelous working of Satan and that the end is near. She says, when America stretches its hand, Protestantism stretches its hand across the Gulf to reach the hand of Catholicism. Now, I don't have all the latest, up-to-date, exact news reports as to what's happening, other than to say that in this day and age we're living, that gap is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Protestantism is reaching across. I'm sure you may have heard of the Bishop Tony Palmer and what he did recently. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. South African bishop living in England was instrumental in bringing religious leaders together. Just recently, I think it was two weeks ago, Rick Warren, leader of one of the biggest Protestant churches in America, says, let's get together with the Pope. You know, you watch the news, it's happening fr so frequently now, it's almost not making the news anymore. It's that frequent. But it's happening, they're coming together. Notice here. As the approach of the Roman armies was assigned to the disciples of the impending destruction of Jerusalem, so may this apostasy be assigned to us that the limit of God's forbearance is reached, that the measure of our nation's iniquity is full, and the angel of mercy is about to take her flight, never to return. Solemn words. The angel of mercy is about to take her flight. What apostasy is this talking about? The apostasy of the reaching together of Protestantism and Catholicism. When that happens, 
She says, the angel of mercy is about to leave, never more to return. Now, this brings up an important point that we need to look at. You know, when we talk about the Sunday law, you may have heard people talk about the close of probation as well, right? When probation closes, judgment's overdone. Now, when does probation close? Yes, definitely for everyone, but it has to close eventually at one time. See, some people say probation closes at the Sunday law. You may have heard that. I don't believe that is true. Because notice here, just reading the quotation, she says, when this apostasy takes place, the apostasy of the union of church and state, Sunday law, it is a sign that the nation's iniquity is full. So when Sunday law happens, it's a sign that America has gone. But what does it say? And the angel of mercy, what's the next word? Is about to take her flight. It doesn't say when, it doesn't say this apostasy is a sign that the angel has now left. The angel is about to leave. Now, to me, this makes logical sense. Probation does not close after Sunday law. Why? And I believe this. It's a warning, but also it is a test. How can you close probation before you have tested people? Some people say, well, probation closes at the Sunday law for the church and then the world later on. I don't believe so. The church, you as a Seventh-day Adventist, if you say, I believe in the Sabbath, 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 and then when the Sunday law comes, your probation has already closed, and you haven't had an opportunity to demonstrate your belief in the Sabbath in the face of death, it doesn't make sense. You understand? As a Seventh-day Adventist, the biggest foundation of your faith is the Sabbath. It would make no sense for your probation to close without having tested the claims of your faith. You claim to believe the Sabbath? Now here's a law demanding you worship on pain of death. Will you worship? Your probation must close after that time, for you must be tested on that point to see if you stand on it. So we'll get a little bit more time in the next one, but I just wanted to bring that up now. There is a difference between a National Sunday law and the close of probation. I think, this is my, this, now this is my conjecture, so to speak. I don't think there's a long time between them. I don't think it's going to be like five years. I don't know how long. But I don't think it's a long time. I think it would be relatively or realistically quite a short time. Nevertheless, they do not happen at the same time. Close, but not the same. It is a sign the angel is about to take her flight, but there is still mercy, the last moment between the Sunday law and the close of probation. So you have Sunday law? Because if probation closes at the Sunday law, then it would mean you don't have to preach the loud cry message anymore. When, when, when the loud cry, think about it, when the, la- sorry, when the Sunday law is passed, that is a sign to preach the loud cry one last time. Because we're saying Babylon has fallen. Can you see? Come out. So to me, when, when Sunday law is passed, it is a sign 
to preach the loud cry one last time with the power of the Holy Spirit to call people out of Babylon before it's too late because there's only a little bit of time left. The USA, we are told, will form a three-fold union with two entities, the papacy and spiritualism. Now, how do we prove from the Bible the threefold union? The three unclean spirits like frogs. Let's go there. Revelation 16 and verse... <coughs> excuse me. Revelation 16 and verse... Da, 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 verse 13. Revelation 16, verse 13 and 14, 15. I just want to show very quickly how we can prove the three unclean spirits are the dragon, which are... Revelation 16, verse 13, what, what, do, what, what entities do we have? The first one is the... The second one is the... And the third one is the... Okay, now how do we prove which one is which? I've got different colors. <laughs> so which one would you say, which one is the beast? Sorry? Just give me your thoughts. What's the beast, anyone? You say the papacy. Okay. What's the dragon, anyone? Spiritualism. You say spiritualism? What's the false prophet? Okay. Let's start with the dragon. If you say the dragon is, the, is spiritualism, let's put it up here. The dragon is... Now, I believe the dragon is spiritualism. And I'll give you a few Bible texts to show you. Revelation 12, verse 9. Revelation 12, verse 9, the Bible says. Revelation 12, verse 9, it says, The dragon was cast out of heaven, called the devil, and what? Satan, but it also calls him the, it also calls him the serpent. That's the key word we have to latch onto. It also calls him the serpent. The dragon, that old serpent, called the devil and Satan. Now where does the serpent first appear in the Bible? Genesis chapter 3. What does the serpent say in Genesis chapter 3 and verse and verse verse 3. The Bible says, and the fruit of the garden, the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not what? Surely die. You shall not surely die. Now, 
See, you can, I mean, knowing that, that's, that's true, but we have to be able to prove it. Amen? Ye shall not surely die. The foundation of spiritualism is the belief that you will not die. You will not die. That's why the teaching of the state of the dead is so important. The foundation of spiritualism, you will not die. Hinduism, what happens when you die? Just come back again, right? The foundation of spiritualism is that you do not die. So in order to prove the dragon is spiritualism, we go to Revelation 12 verse 9, and we have the name of the serpent. We go back to the first place in the Bible that the serpent is mentioned, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4. You shall not surely die. That was the lie of Satan. And therefore we link spiritualism to this teaching. Amen? So that's spiritualism. The beast. Who's the beast? We said the beast is Catholicism. How do we prove that? We don't have time to do the whole study. Revelation 13. Verse 1 to 10. The identifying marks of this beast prove that it is the papacy. The identifying marks of the beast, verses 1 to 2, show that it's a composite beast taken in the lion, the dragon, taken in the elements of Babylon, Medo, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Verse 3 shows that it had a, a wound, 1798. Verse 4 shows that it combines church and state because it demands worship. Verse 5 shows that it um, does blasphemy. Verse uh, where's the time, time, and half a time? Verse 5 gives us the 42 months, which is 1260 years, which is 538 to 1798. Verse 9 and 10 give us the captivity at the end. Anyway, that's a very brief and not very clear exposition. But when you look at the identifying points in Revelation 13, verses 1 to 10, it is the same as Daniel 7, little horn. In Daniel 7, you have this one again, you have this one again, you have this one again. You have similar ones. <coughs> this pen's, that blue pen's not very good, is it? Okay. So the false prophet. Now, it's been said here that the false prophet represents... 
What did we say? A pos. Sorry for my bad handwriting. I tell people I have handwriting like a doctor. Apostate Protestantism. The false prophet, apostate Protestantism. Now, when you study the book of Revelation, you have to look in the Bible for other times that the phrase is mentioned. The word false prophet comes up again in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20. In Revelation 19 and verse 20, the false prophet comes up again. Let's see what it says here. Revelation 19 verse 20, the Bible says, And the beast was taken, and with him the what? The false prophet that did what? That wrought miracles where? So the false prophet does miracles in front of the? In front of who? The beast. Turn to Revelation 13 and verse 13 and 14. Revelation 13, verse 13 and 14. Notice what it says here. In Revelation 13, verse 13 and 14. Now this is talking about the second beast of Revelation. It says, And he does great wonders, so he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Notice the same thing. Revelation 19, 20. Revelation 13, in particular verse 14, they say the same thing. He does miracles before the beast. Therefore, we conclude that the false prophet in Revelation 19, 20 and in Revelation 16, verse 13, is the same as the second beast in Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation 13, the second beast does miracles in front of the first beast, meaning America in front of Rome. In Revelation 19 verse 20, the false prophet now does miracles before the beast. So in Revelation 16 verse 13, our original text, the dragon the beast, and the false prophet. When it says the false prophet, I believe it's referring to, obviously, the religious side, apostate Protestantism, within America. So here we have this threefold union. Spiritualism, Catholicism, and apostate Protestantism. Between those three categories, you pretty much have the whole world, world covered. Pretty much had the whole world covered. Now, any questions on that? No? Okay. Um, just, just 
wondering for the sake of some of them here that uh, that you have any examples that you know events that are taking place that are that really are you know are there events that are taking place that are you know sh uh, letting us know that this is okay coming <coughs> um we'll get to some We'll get to some, yeah. So, if the cup of nations, USA's iniquity is full, why does probation not close at the National Sunday? Though we covered this a little bit. Notice, Sodom was not destroyed until Lot left it. Amen? He left before they destroy. Babylon will not be destroyed until God's people leave it. He's not going to just, he's not going to destroy Babylon while his people are in Babylon. Makes no sense. So God gives time for people to leave the Sunday-keeping churches, or spiritualism, or any of them, to join God's remnant church. Now the decision by the nation is final, thus it's important to preach the message now, and there is a need for urgency in what we do. Amen? There's approaching a time when that will be the last time we're able to... But notice what Ellen White advises us to do as this time takes place. The time is not far distant when the early disciples will be forced to seek a refuge in desolate and solitary places. As the siege of Jerusalem by the Roman armies was a sign for the flight of the Judean Christians, so the assumption of power on the part of our nation in the decree enforcing papal Sabbath will be a warning to us. It will then be time to leave the large cities, preparing to leave the smaller ones for retired places. So she says, when the Sunday law passes, that's a sign to leave the cities. Amen? It might be good to leave them now, but obviously I understand, you know, not everyone can. I don't believe we should leave the cities and go live in the middle of nowhere. But, if you find yourself living in a city, when the Sunday law passes, take note, that's your signal, leave. Because when the Spirit of God is withdrawn from man, and you're in an area where there's so many people in such a small space, let me tell you, no human law will be able to restrain them. I think Singapore is a very small country, right? And they've got, what, five million people crammed in that little small space? The unique thing about Singapore, I haven't, I've only been to the airport, very nice airport. The unique thing about Singapore is that there's very low crime. But let me tell you, I believe in the final days when time, whatever, no law will restrain people when you're living on top of them, below them, around them. These big cities, New York, London, where people are just crammed in. Just crammed in. It will not be a pretty place to be when the Spirit of God is withdrawn from mankind. So when the Sunday law passes, we know definitively, she tells us, that's the sign to leave the large cities. Okay? Leave the large cities and then leave the smaller ones and then retire home among the countries. The Sunday law is a sign to leave the cities. Okay? She says, goes on to, they get out the large cities as fast as possible. 
Now, the Sunday law is a sign that the apostasy is complete. The close of probation is very near. Now, we, we, we notice here, we, we covered this briefly, but let's just go through these questions. Revelation 13, verse 11 to 17. Who is the lamb-like beast? We believe this refers to the United States of America. Now, what does it mean to be like a lamb? It means to be like Jesus. And in the context of a government, it means to have separation of church and state. Who is the first beast? The first beast is the papacy. What will the second beast cause the world to do? The Bible says that the first beast will cause the world, verse 15 of chapter 13, Revelation 13, 15, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be what? Should be killed. So the second beast has the power to force people to worship the first beast. He has the power to do that, whether we like it or not. And most of us don't like it. America is a pretty powerful country, amen? Powerful economically. Now, America is not the most wealthy country in the world, but Americans were quite smart in that they tied most of the world's, it seems like, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not an accountant or a businessman or anything like that, but it seems like most economies in the world are tied to the American economy. For example, my mother's from Iceland. How many of you know what Iceland is? Maybe. You can take a quick, pretty good guess. It's far north. You know? My mother's from Iceland, and in 2008, when the global financial crisis hit the world, in Europe, Iceland, I don't know, I've got my own conspiracy theories, but Iceland, all the banks in Iceland folded, and the whole country lit, kind of went into meltdown, at least, at least the financial sector. Everything else was okay, but the financial sector, like they closed three of the national banks. Done, 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 closed. Now, you didn't really hear about it because it was a little country. So if the banks in Iceland fold, it doesn't affect us in England, and it certainly doesn't affect you guys here in Malaysia. Small little country. Now, if the English economy goes down, you might feel it here a little bit. Quite a lot, maybe. If the American economy goes down... We all feel it. We will all feel it. It will ricochet around the world. It's tied in. It's tied in. I believe America has the power to cause the world to worship the first beast. Now, we see, we see snippets of it. You know, when you think about history, though, in World War I, who fought who in World War I? Come on, guys, where's your history? <laughs> who fought against who in World War I? It was Kaiser Wilhelm. What country was he from? Austria, Germany. And who did they fight against? That's right. Well, they invaded Poland and so on. But it was the Allies, the British, and the Commonwealth fighting against Germans and their little union. World War II, who was fighting against who? Germany and... America and Germany. 
wrong. No, you're partly right. You're partly right. You're partly right. It's a very good guess because America were very involved in the war. But in 1939, who was the war between? No, not Japan yet. What happened was this. In 1939, Hitler... Yeah, France. France was in it. In 1939, Hitler's invading Europe, different countries, Czechoslovakia, Poland. He's invaded, not Russia yet. That was in 1941, I think. So he's invading different countries. It was the English government, because the English felt they were pretty big. You know, the, the sun never sets on the British Empire and all of that rubbish. You know, they felt, we're strong, we're Britain, we rule the world. And they, 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 they had, the British had this arrogance that if Hitler did that, if we tell you don't do that, otherwise we'll come and get you, that he might listen. So it was the English Prime Minister that said, Adolf Hitler, if you invade Czech Republic and Poland, that's the final straw, we'll come and get you. The Americans, they didn't care. They were over there, you know, land of the free, home of the brave, enjoying themselves. But um, England, to use the terminology of a school playground, England picked the fight with Germany. They said, if you do that, we'll come get you. It was the English that said that. Now, they picked the fight, but they didn't have the muscle to finish it. So England picked the fight, and they fight the Germans, and, you know, they're fighting, 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 at least in Europe. It wasn't until 1942, well, 41, really, but really 42, that the Americans then joined because the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. And then the Americans were part of the Allies and you know, the war progressed to a conclusion. But initially, my point is, England picked the fight. They said, if you dare invade Czechoslovakia, we'll come and get you. And Hitler's like, who cares? I'll go invade it anyway. <laughs> now, notice the shift. In, 19, in 2003, Saddam Hussein, who picked the fight with Saddam Hussein to use the, the playground? It was the U.S. America said, if you dare do that, we'll come get you. We'll come get you. We'll come and bomb you out. We'll, you know, da, 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 da. You know, we'll come teach you a lesson. It was America picking the fight. And now, when anything happens in the world, America is the nation, first of all. What does Barack Obama say? What did you, what, would you comment on the matter? You know, we want the opinion of America, and what America decides, you know, it's important. You know, it's terrible. It's a terrible thing that happened with the... Um, Yesterday, the plane crash. Well, we don't know if it's a plane crash. The plane disappeared. Yes. But I'm, I'm assuming it's crashed. Hmm? Third. You know, what, you, know, you know what? On Thursday, I was flying on an Air Asia flight with my wife, the exact same stretch of sea. Wow. I, looked, I was like, whoa. Not, not the same cities, but the exact same stretch of sea. Like, whoa. Exact same area. Anyway... But it's interesting, I was reading the article on the BBC. Now, I'm not saying, my point is, why is the BBC on an article on Air Asia from Surabaya to Singapore telling me what Barack Obama says about it? Do you, you understand what, where I'm coming from? Like, why is that important? But there was a whole paragraph on what Barack Obama said about this event. The reason being because on significant world events. What does the American president say? 
What's their opinion? They are kind of like the world leader in many ways. When it comes to militarily speaking, if there's a war taking place, America has a, a, a discussion in America about a war taking place between two rebel forces in another country. Like, why is it your business? That's kind of how a lot of people feel. Why is it your business to, to mess with whatever over here? America is now the global policeman. It's the global policeman keeping, trying to keep law and order between rivaling factions. Why do they have bases all over the world? You know? And so they have the power to cause the world, though they may not have exercised it fully, yet. There's been a shift. America is now, something happens, America will be like, you better stop. We'll have to come and send our warplanes and sort you out. America's the global leader. It has the power to cause the world to worship. So this is why the, it's important looking at apostate Protestantism, because when a, the link in America between the church and the state in America, between the, apost, the false prophet, apostate Protestantism, and the church, the link is such that when these people want the government to do something, they will apply pressure and get the government to do it for them. You know, America, how many of you are familiar with Middle East politics? Yes? No? Maybe? No? Okay. Let me give you another little lesson. Middle East. There. 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 This is Turkey. Then you've got Egypt. Then you've got a little country here. Israel. Okay? Islam surrounds it. And you have a little country here called Israel. It's almost humanly impossible how they survive in a region where every nation surrounding them refuses to recognize even their existence. America. Israel survives, you know, of all the countries that the USA gives their money to. USA. All their foreign money, where does it go to? Africa? Pakistan? Starving people, whoever? No. The highest amount of American dollars in foreign money goes here. Goes there. To Israel. Why? Why did the Americans send foreign money to Israel? You could say, oh, the Jews are powerful in America, and you could give this reason. No. The reason why the Americans send their foreign money to Israel is because of apostate Protestantism. There is a belief within Protestantism, apostate Protestantism, that prior to Jesus' return, you may have heard of the secret rapture, prior to Jesus' return, Israel has to be reinstituted as a nation, the temple has to be rebuilt, sacrifices have to happen there, and all these false views on prophecy are the foundation driving a lot of American foreign policy. It's therefore vitally important to maintain Israel as a nation because it plays a role in Bible prophecy. I mean, that's just kind of an abstract way of showing how false biblical views, in many ways, have driven or lie as one of the factors behind certain things. Apostate Protestantism in America will be powerful 
in the end in driving the policy of the nation. And when the people demand for a law, they will get it. I mean, you know, when you watch the American election these days, it's just an election of two people trying to, you know, figure out how they can get the most votes and be like what the people want them to be. There's really no ethics really left in it anymore. So this threefold union of Protestantism, Rome, and spiritualism will com combine together. Now, what links Protestantism with spiritualism? It's the immortality of the soul. These two, false prophet and the dragon, are linked by spiritualism. They're linked by the belief that when the dead die, they don't really die. When the dead die, they don't surely die. That's what links these two. What links Protestantism with Catholicism? What links these two? Sunday sacredness. So between these, you have spiritualism. Between these, you have Sunday sacredness. Now the bond of union is in this falsehood, and these two errors are key. That's why it's so important for us to understand the Sabbath, to understand the state of the dead. They f they're the two founding pillars that Satan will use in the end to deceive many, many people. Some people will not be convinced. Some people will not be convinced by anyone telling them that the Sabbath is not on Saturday. But they will be convinced when their dead grandmother comes back to talk to them. You know, one thing I've, le I've learned doing evangelism, and that is this. That when people have an experience, I can tell you the dead know nothing. And you're like, yeah, that's cool. I understand that. Fine. I believe it. No problem. But if there's someone else in the audience and that person in the audience has had an experience with a dead relative. They've seen a dead relative come back to life in their house. And you tell them that dead person is in the grave and that's a demon. They find it very hard to really believe that. I've seen them, real, not like a, a spirit floating. I saw the body in my house. I talked to them face to face. They were real. You can't tell me they're dead. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I think it is, verse 13 and 14, the Bible says that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. But the next verse, which we often don't quote, says this. They can also transform themselves into false apostles. Can you imagine what it will be like in the last days when you have to preach the message and the apostle John and the prophet Daniel come back from the dead and tell the world that what you're preaching is wrong? Can you see how arrogant and how... I mean, it's one thing to stand in front of the world, but if you have to stand and refute what John said in Revelation and tell John, as people think he's John, he's not obviously John, and tell what people think is John is wrong, they'll be like, who do you think you are? That's the Apostle John. He's come back from the dead to talk to us. Many people will be deceived by a false view of spiritualism when they see the apostles come back. Can you imagine the Christian church? The Apostle John comes back to give a Revelation seminar. Whoa. You know, people want to go listen to the Apostle John do a Revelation seminar. Paul comes back. Daniel comes back. Moses comes back from the dead, they think, and starts preaching and telling people that we are wrong and everyone else is right. 
It will be very hard then, and there will be many Adventists who will not bend on the point of belief of Sabbath Sunday who may be changed by that. See, Satan knows the weak spots in people, and if he knows your weak spot is your mother that you love who died in a car accident, or the weak spot on you is your grandmother who raised you when you were a child, or your weak spot is somebody like that, he will bring that person back from the dead. To plead with you, to talk with you. If you ever see that happening to you, if any of you ever see that happening, then what you say, in the name of Jesus, go. Demons cannot dwell where the name of Jesus is. Bid them leave, not in your power, in the name of Jesus, I command you to go. I know someone who had a son who died in the Vietnam War. And one day, after the funeral, after the war, he was sat in his bedroom, and his son, who he had buried in the ground, came back and stood at the bottom of his bed. Real life. Uniform on. Military uniform. Standing right there. Now, his son had a tattoo on his ankle, And as the demon was standing there in military uniform, looking just like the soldiers you see on television, he stood there and smiled and lifted up his leg, trouser leg, to show the tattoo around his ankle, as if to say, this is really real. And he just said, in the name of Jesus, I bid you go. Disappeared. If you ever see that, don't entertain it. Don't even start a conversation. In the name of Jesus, command it to go. You know, God knows sometimes some of our faith is not strong enough to handle those things, so he won't allow them to happen. But if it does ever happen, there's power in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, the, the union is falsehood between these two. In the old and new world, the papacy will receive homage in the honor paid to the Sunday institution that rests solely upon the authority of the Roman church. You know, Rome says that they have never changed. Their boast is that we have never changed. Now, who makes the image? We read in Revelation 13 that the false prophet, or the second beast, makes an image to the first beast. Now, the word image means a reflection, right? The word image means a reflection. When you stand up in the morning and look in the mirror, as some of you do for one minute or an hour, I don't know, As you look in the mirror, you see the exact reflection of yourself. So if this prophet or America makes an image to the beast, what it means is it's going to be a direct reflection of the Catholic Church. So what are they reflecting? They are reflecting the union of church and state. When we say the image of the beast, what we're simply meaning is the union of church and state which is the foundation of Catholicism, will happen in America. The image to the beast is nothing more than the union of church and state. It's an image, it's a reflection. The reflection of Catholicism is another duplication of church and state taking place in the U.S. Notice here, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. Here is clearly presented a form of government in which the legislative power rests with the people. 
How? Telling them that they make the image. So the government doesn't say, we make the image. The government says, you make the image. It's a form of government where the people have the power. A most striking evidence that the United States is the nation denoted in the prophecy. Now there are two methods of pressure that will be used in Revelation 13 verse 15. The first one is you cannot buy and sell, verse 16. The second one is that you will die. Can't buy and sell, you will die. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. This is what mankind has done since time, almost immemorial. They threaten you with your ability to trade and live and survive, or they threaten you with your life itself. It's nothing new. Nothing new. Some people will fold here. Some people will fold there. Some fathers will say, I need to provide for my wife and my kids. God expects me to take care of my family. And they'll have all these reasons as to why they should do it. Some people will fold there when your life is threatened. Whatever your weak spot may be, some may fold, but God will have a people that will say, no, it doesn't matter what um, you try and do economically, it doesn't matter what you do to my life. I will stand for God no matter what. Notice here. When the leading churches of the United States, united upon such points of doctrine as are held by them in common, shall influence the state to enforce their decrees and sustain their institutions, then Protestant America will have formed an image to the Roman hierarchy and the infliction of civil penalties upon dissenters will inevitably result. Okay. The Sunday law will be passed by the legislation notice here. To secure popularity and patronages, legislators will yield to the demand for a Sunday law. The people want it, and they say, you can have it. As the movement for Sunday enforcement becomes bold and decided, the law will be invoked against commandment keepers. They will be threatened with fines, imprisonment, some will be offered positions of influence and others rewards and advantages to renounce their faith. But their steadfast answer is, show us from the word of God our error. Those who are arraigned before the courts make a strong vindication of the truth and some who hear them are led to take this time. We read this quotation yesterday. Some are threatened, some are induced. But all of, but all of them say, show us from the word of God. Some will still be influenced before the close of probation. Amen? When the final warnings will be given, it will arrest the attention of these leading men through whom the Lord is now working, and some will accept it and will stand with the people of God through the time of trouble. There will be some that will accept last minute and will stand with God through the time of, God's people through the time of trouble. So a few summary points. The Sunday law is assigned to God's people. We will know when the Sunday law is passed. It's not going to be some secret thing. Oh, I missed it. You'll know. Okay? No need to guess. It's the sign of America's apostasy, which is kind of like the same thing as saying that they have united church and state. It's a sign to leave the cities. It brings in the mark of the beast, for the mark of the beast is the Sunday law. Sunday keeping, legislated by law. 
and it brings in obviously the setting up of the image of the beast. Brings in all these things. This is when the threefold union will be complete and they will pass the Sunday law as we've seen due to popular demand. You know, the, the amount of times that Satan uses popularity and peer pressure throughout the Bible, many, many times. He knows human nature and then we often buckle to pressure around us. Only a personal experience with Jesus will keep us. Amen? It's not enough to just know these things intellectually. Only an experience where Jesus will keep you. Because when the pressure is there, economic pressure, life pressure, many people will fold. In Daniel chapter 3 and verse, well, the whole chapter, how many people stood on the plain of Jura and did not bow down? Three. Their Babylonian names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many Jews were in, Jeru in Babylon? In, in, in Daniel chapter 1, the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar went to Babylon and took him captives, children in whom was no blemish, but understanding. When the king goes to a whole military campaign and takes another city, you don't take three captives. He probably took 100, 200, 300, 400 captives with him. My question is, where were those three, four, five hundred captives in Daniel chapter 3? They all bowed down. They all bowed down. Daniel 3 is not so much a story of the three boys standing in the face of Babylonian pressure. It's the three boys standing in the face of peer pressure from their church friends who all bowed down. We often don't look at that angle. All the church boys bowed, and only three of them stood. Only three of them stood. They had a personal experience with Jesus that kept them strong in that time. Sunday law is coming. It's important for us to know about it, but it's important for us to develop a relationship with Jesus that will enable us to stand today in the little things that we can stand then in the big things. Should we bow our heads as we close with a word of prayer? Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for your goodness to us. And we thank you, Lord, for the prophecies that we can see of events that will take place in the future between the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Lord, keep us faithful to you. Lord, give us an understanding, a deeper understanding. If we need to study these things again, Lord, give us the, uh, the impetus to find the time to look into your word and, and truly grasp these things for ourselves personally. But more important, Lord, may our experience with you be one that can last us through such times. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.